Welcome to the Altus Podcast. This is not another podcast about the stock market. Instead, we focus on the rapidly evolving world of alts. The goal of this podcast is to provide original research and insights that empowers you to become a better alternative investor. With each episode, we hope to bring you along with us as we learn together. Thanks for joining. Now let's dive in. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the hosts and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. Hi, I'm Horatio Ruiz, host of the Alts Podcast. Today, I'm going to be joined by Stefan to speak with co-founder of the Loomis Group, Slade Mykulik. The Loomis Group is a domain brokerage firm working with buyers and sellers of domain names for corporations, small businesses, and investors. Slade was instrumental in acquiring our new domain name, Alts.co, during the company's renaming. Slade is going to talk about his job and the industry at large, and boy, does he have some good stories. Let's drop in. All right, Slade, thank you for joining us today. When we were looking up uh, Loomis, we saw that there were uh, so many things that you guys do. And essentially, you guys provide a a bunch of services. I don't want to limit it to just you guys being a domain broker, but could you give a quick description of what Loomis does and and what it means to, you know, acquire and sell domains? Yeah, absolutely. So the basic premise of what we do, we, we are in fact a domain broker. So the core competency and focus of what we do is specifically helping buyers in securing and acquiring their domain names that they need for their marketing initiatives, their brand, just their company overall, etc. We do deal with a number of other digital asset acquisitions as well, trademarks being a part of that. But the primary focus of um, what we do over here at Loomis, we are in fact a domain brokerage and we do help clients to purchase, acquire, and secure domain names for their businesses. That's pretty fascinating. The extent of my knowledge is basically going on GoDaddy and seeing if something's available and, and you know and renting it out. You're a brokerage, right? So like who typically approaches you and um, are you working for like small businesses, larger corporations? And what are the kind of deals that you're involved with here? Are you are you buying domain names from people that already own the rights to the name or are you looking for, you know, a name that might fit a new company? So, you know, it's pretty much everything under the sun. You know, we have people that are coming to us looking to uh, acquire a domain for their business. We have people coming to us looking to acquire a domain for personal use, personal reasons. And it's not just uh, large businesses. As you probably are aware, especially since the pandemic started and the COVID era started, a lot of brick and mortar is now moving online. So, you know, it's safe to say everyone under the sun has an interest in securing uh, you know, the right domain for their online presence. So small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large corporate entities, individuals, and you know, everything else that falls under that umbrella, we're, we're out there helping them to um, you know, acquire the domain names that they need. Would you say that, that you've seen an increase in, in business or like an activity since COVID first started? Yeah. So I think every, everything along with that, right? So we, we've seen more activity, definitely have had more business. Um, 2021, believe it or not, was our best year to date um, in terms of the brokerage opportunity that we've had. We are seeing that uh, more and more people are being attracted to the internet and ultimately securing that right domain for their brand. Um, on top of that, we're also seeing that overall, because there is such a stronger demand for these domain names, the value of these domains in general um, has also appreciated uh, simply due to the the demand increasing and the supply being somewhat limited. So let's say like I'm moving my business to online, right? Like you said, from brick and mortar, you know, what do you typically find the companies do? Do they try and seek out their own domain names first and they kind of see, hey, 
this is a bit of a complicated process or I need help acquiring the right name. And then they come to you or do you find that, you know, you're the first stop that they basically, you know, hey, let me go through the broker first because I don't really know what I'm getting into. Yeah. So, you know, it's a little bit of both. I can't tell you how often we are working with someone who has beat their head against the door trying to buy a domain, whether themselves, they're trying to find who the owner is, trying to negotiate the sale. It can be a very taxing process. Um, So we do have uh, clients that have tried to uh, make that connection with the owner of a domain name unsuccessfully. And then they come to us asking for our expertise to help find the owner of the domain name, help put an offer forward to the owner of the domain name, and ultimately help them with that acquisition process. But we also have uh, companies who um, their first thought is securing a domain. They, they find our company, whether through a referral system or um, we already have a relationship with that company. And then we, you know, we help them with that process as well. But also there's a third one, right, where the, the company didn't necessarily uh, or the entity did not necessarily go direct to purchase that domain themselves. They actually tried to use a different brokerage firm, whether that be, like you mentioned earlier, GoDaddy or any of the other brokerage uh, companies that are out there, right? They've gone through the process of trying to acquire domain through these other brokerage firms or companies unsuccessfully only to end up at our door where we are able to help facilitate that that sale for them. Whether that be because they were unable to reach the owner of the domain name or the owner was difficult to work with and they couldn't agree to the terms or the price point, etc., you know, a lot of times we do find that um, the clients that we're working with, um, they, they have attempted to make the, the acquisition themselves unsuccessfully. And then, we, you know, we also have clients that come to us direct the, at the first thought of wanting to purchase that domain. So it's a little bit of all of that. That's where we came in, right? And so like, like the background uh, for us is like, we, we had no idea what we were doing when we were trying to switch our domain from alternativeassets.club to alts, right? We, we didn't know that alts was going to be our domain. We just knew we wanted something new. We wanted to get off of alternativeassets.club. It was kind of a mouthful. We didn't like the .club uh, TLD. We just didn't know where to begin. I didn't know how to formulate a list of what was available. And I didn't know how to reach out to domain owners because I didn't know who the domain owners were. And so, you know, meeting you was, was like a godsend in all this. I guess my, my big question is like, how do you know who owns each domain, right? Like, I remember when we worked together, it was like, we gave you a list of some names that we, we wanted and, you know, some dot coms and, and uh, you basically just said, okay, I'll, I'll get right on it. But the whole time I was thinking like, how does he know? How does he figure out who the owner is? Because a lot of the times the owner is hidden. So can you tell us a little bit about how you figure out like just who owns each domain? That is a very loaded question. You know, I'm so involved with uh, the domain space in general, and we've we've been brokering for years now. It's um, some things that are so obvious to me, I don't even think about as a strategy we use for identifying a domain. So it's going to be difficult for me to very in detail explain it. But there are a number of methods that we simply use, um, like very direct channels of finding who owns a domain name. The biggest one is the who is record of ownership, right? If you're not familiar with what the who is records are, it's basically a record of domain ownership. And you can review these who is records to find out the details relating to the owner of the domain name. Now, most instances, that information is set to private. So it's under privacy and it's very difficult to obtain that information. But we do have a series of proprietary tools that we use um, as well as other 
really fundamental tools such as uh, archive.org, right? You can backdate the history of the domain from archive.org or similar tools like that to identify what was previously on the domain name, which can lead you to some insight into who currently owns the domain name. Another big part of how we understand who owns particular domain names, because we've been working in the industry for so long, we have a very strong understanding of who's who in the industry. So if you gave me a random, especially a more premium domain name that I might be familiar with, but if you gave me a particular domain name just off the cuff, there's a pretty strong possibility just off of the reference of that domain name, I can say, ooh, I actually, I remember that this particular entity owns this domain name just through working within the industry. So a lot of times I have insight on the ownership of a domain name that I can't exactly qualify or quantify why I know this. I just know it. And that's a big part of the relationships that we've also built within the industry. Another thing that helps as well is we have relationships with uh, a number of registrars, registries, and different companies within the domain community that we can lean on to sort of, I wouldn't say leverage information, but actually find more information and more details associated with the owner of a domain name that can help us track them down, identify, find who owns the domain, and ultimately reach out to them to be able to you know, acquire that domain for our clients. So it is a very strong mixed bag of different things that we utilize. But overall, it takes a lot of diligence and research generally, um, starting with the who is record. Bar none, that is the first thing that I go to to help me identify who owns a domain name. Another interesting thing that we, we sometimes leverage as well is maybe it's hard for us to identify who currently owns the domain name, but we're able to identify who previously owned the domain name. So we might go to the old domain owner, and this is sort of an out-of-box solution, but we might go to the old domain owner and just frankly ask them, hey, I know you don't own this domain anymore, but who would you sell it to? Do you care to share that information? And sometimes that leads us to the sale when we could have otherwise not found who owned the domain name. And I think a big takeaway from this is there's not any stone that we leave unturned. Uh, and ultimately, our, our job and, and the reason that you came to us for a domain like Alts.co is, you know, who owns that domain, find the domain owner and get the sale done. And that's the core competency of what we do at Loomis, um, finding who owns that domain and ultimately uh, interjecting ourselves in that conversation to buy the domain. So Slade, it, it kind of sounds like you're like a, a sleuth, right? A detective trying to find leads to ultimately get to what you want to do. I mean, it sounds like you're not just brokering deals. The bulk of the job is just kind of digging, right? Yeah, you know, if, if domain brokering doesn't ever work out for me, which, you know, it fortunately does, uh, my next line of business is to be a PI. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that brand name, right? Because Stefan was talking about he wanted to change the, the name of the company to Alts.co. How important is that for the people that approach you, right? Like, you know, we want this name or we're thinking about this name. Could you give me some insight into how the how different companies react, you know, when let's say the name that they really want isn't available or it's the the price range might be too much? What are your dealings with that, with trying to find the right fit for the company? And then I guess on top of that is do you mix any like analytics with let's say a company that wants to rebrand, but they're not sure what they want to call themselves, right? So then do you come in with some sort of information or data with, hey, you're into cars. We think that these words here or, or this kind of domain might work for you. Yes, sir. You are absolutely right. <laughs> so let's uh, let's tackle that first question then, right? So what does someone do when they're targeting a domain name? Maybe it's out of their price point. Maybe it's a bit premium. How do you go through that process? And the first thing is, before we ever reach out on domain name, we, we provide as much of that insight as we can to a client. And there's a couple takeaway points that you look at to help determine what the figure is going to look like for a particular domain name, what that price point might look like. 
whether that's through evaluating comparable sales, whether that's looking at what's the domain currently doing, who currently owns the domain name, are they using the domain name, to what extent are they using the domain name, how long have they owned that domain name, how integrated into their processes and systems is that domain name. Uh, there's a number of other values we can look at. The premium nature of the domain name, is it a oneword.com English dictionary word? Is it a dot horse domain name, right? So, you know, we're, we're looking at all of these factors to help indicate where the market is at for domain name. Another thing that can uh, play a value into what the price of a domain is, is how populated the brand space is. How many people are wanting to call themselves what you're wanting to call yourself, right? And how competitive is that? So, you know, we look at what's all encompassing to give you the value of that domain name. We provide that to the client. And before we even reach out, we find if it's uh, if it makes sense for them, right? If they find that the value of the domain is 10x more than they're even comfortable having a conversation about spending, then at that point in time, there's a couple of things you can do there, right? Are they comfortable looking at secondary domain names or domains that they might not have otherwise considered? Is a rebrand an option, which... Most of the time it's not, but sometimes it can be an option, especially if an owner of a domain wants, say, $60 million. Uh, rebrand might be in the, in the cards or looking at secondary options. So, you know, a lot of times it really just comes down to what the value of the domain is to the, the client we're working with to purchase that domain name. Um, what is the perceived value they see of that domain name as it equates to being used for their brand? And ultimately, what is the actual price of that domain likely going to cost? So, um, you know, we, we give our client all the information that they can use to make the determination on if that domain makes sense or not prior to us reaching out to the owner of the domain name. Now, in many instances, you'll have a domain owner where, you know, they, they might want a price that's probably higher than what we perceive and what the buyer perceives the value of that domain to be. And so that's where a part of the negotiation comes into play. That's where some of the factors and details we've provided to the buyer to help them prep for what the value of the domain is. We might use that same information and send it over to the owner or seller of a domain name to help them understand that their price might be a little too high. And ultimately, we try to thread that needle and have a meeting of the minds between both the buyer and the seller to help conduct the sale. I think that was a big part of what we did with Alts.co on your domain as well. Um, that was a big part of, uh, of that as well to, to help get the price down down a point that makes sense for you guys. Now, on top of that, when you are purchasing a domain name, there are other options you can take advantage of rather than just pay all cash for the domain name. A big thing that we are seeing with sellers now, especially as the values of domains increase, is more and more sellers are open to the idea of payment plans, essentially owner financing on the purchase of a domain name where you know, instead of paying X amount all up front for the purchase of a domain name, maybe you'll put a down payment and pay the remaining balance of that domain purchase over an extended period of time in the form of installments. So um, there's different avenues you can approach the purchase of a domain with. And as long as, uh, again, you have a meeting of the minds between a buyer and seller, you know, there's a good chance that you can achieve the result you're looking for during that negotiation. And I went pretty in depth on that. What was the, what was the second uh, question that you were asking me, Horatio? The second question was, you know, and you kind of answered it like in terms of the ask and I was just wondering if you had any more analytics, right? Where, you know, maybe a keyword isn't, isn't quite right. You know, maybe an owner's thinking, Hey, I want to be called, I don't know, coolcars.com. And you find that the word cool maybe isn't, isn't really the best, you know, search term or, you know, isn't optimized for SEO, right? How much consulting do you do with, with the actual names? Cause I just imagine like that that's a big deal, right? Like 
your, your website name is almost your identity. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good question. So we do work with a lot of startups as well. And if we do have customers, clients that we've worked with, a lot of times they might be starting up a new initiative, a new business, new subsidiary business, right? And they want a whole new brand for their, their new business that they're creating. So a lot of times rather than you know, it's difficult because, you know, there's such a range of domains that you could suggest for any sort of situation. So a lot of times we try to pinpoint, you know, what exactly the business is going to be um, that the domain is going to be used for. Um, so, we, you know, a lot of times we just ask to understand what's the new company that you're using? What industries are you associated with? Do you have a preference for particular keywords? And the example you gave me, it seems like car or cars might be something that you can look at. Well, as an alternative to cars, maybe you look at auto. Right. Maybe you look at a uh, vehicle. Right. So we can come up with these different scenarios or these different domains that might make sense for what you're doing. And then a big part of us as a broker. Right. We then will go out, search within the marketplaces, look at all the inventory that's out there uh, based on what some of the domain investors have, what some of the marketplaces have. And we try to pinpoint what seems to be available, what seems to be within the price bracket you're looking for. And then we can compile a list of domains that might make sense, which we then pass on to our clients. And then they can identify, oh, you know what? I didn't think about that. But this domain is a fantastic suggestion. Maybe we should look at this. And then once you can kind of hone down that list, then you can start looking at different iterations of it to really find what makes the most sense based on the price point, based on you know the domain itself, the strength of the domain and how it conveys your brand. So yeah, you know, we, we have a number of clients that come to us with those types of instances. And and a lot of times we do have a list of domains we can just provide to them, if, especially if they don't have specific criteria they're looking for and they're basically open to almost anything. Right. We do have a, you know, some select list that we can share with clients saying, hey, we know these are available. You're looking for a more premium domain name. You're looking for a particular extension. Here's a list we have. Let me know if something makes sense and we can dive deeper into it. And that's usually, you know, uh, the situation surrounding that and how we approach that. Can we talk about value for a moment when it comes to domains? Because like the, the interesting thing to me about this market is that the value is just in the eye of the beholder. Like unlike other, you know, alternative assets where there's like a much more transparent market and kind of everyone knows like the quote unquote right price for a piece of farmland or a baseball card. With domains, it's not like that, right? Because like what's valuable to one person might be like worthless to someone else and vice versa. There's obviously like certain words and certain TLDs that are clearly valuable when put together. Something like money.com or investing.com, let's say, like everyone's going to want that. There's no question about it. But aside from that, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot as far as like how to determine the value. And there's no real good way to like mathematically infer the value on domains. I know a couple of companies have tried. There's like Estabot that like kind of tries to pinpoint a value for like the domain, but it doesn't really work that well. So when you get down to the nitty gritty and you're starting to negotiate with the seller on behalf of the buyer, like the seller wants to maximize the sale, the buyer wants to pay as little as possible. How do you fit in? Like, how do you kind of like help negotiate a lower price? And on what grounds do you kind of use to bring the price down? Well, it is situational, right? Just to be candid with you, we've had some clients come to us saying, hey, I want to buy this domain name. And I'm not pinpointing out anyone particular, but I can tell you there are some, for instance, domain sellers, right? Whether that's a huge corporation that happens to own a wealth of domain names or it's a domain investor that just happens to own some premium domain names. You know, sometimes, especially if the the buyer they don't need that domain, they just simply like that domain. And there are potential options they could look at otherwise. A lot of times we'll tell them, hey, look, we know who owns this domain name. 
we know they typically don't sell their domain names. And if they sell those domain names, they're going to ask a value that is likely beyond where the market's at for this particular domain name. So what I recommend is that we look at alternate options to see if something else makes sense for you. And if it does make sense for you, let's pursue those other options because I think you can get a better value out of that. And like you were saying, you know, domains, it's a speculative asset. So like you said, money.com. To one person, that could be a $10,000 domain. To another person, that could be a, you know, a million dollar domain. Again, these are arbitrary numbers, but people perceive value differently. So it's really important to understand your client, the buyer that we'd be representing. It's important to understand how important is that domain to them? Do they benefit from it or do they simply like that domain name? And when you are getting to the nitty gritty of negotiating the sale, you know, a lot of times when you are dealing with sellers, they will always ask the ceiling, right? That's just how it is. The seller's gonna ask for the ceiling, a buyer's gonna start at the floor. And like I said before, it really is about a meeting of the minds. We find that a conversation over the phone really helps clear up a lot of the air when it comes to those things, especially when you have a seller asking a million dollars on a domain that's probably worth 20K, right? It's very easy to explain to them, hey, look, you know, talking in reference to a seller, it's very easy for, for you to say, hey, look, you're asking a million dollars for this domain, right? You're asking a million dollars for money.com, but you know, currency.com sold for this amount, which is substantially less than what you're asking. So where are you driving that value from? Why are you asking so much for this domain name? Because you're obviously asking more than what the actual domain is worth. And we're working with a serious client interested in buying this domain name, and they're not willing to, to pay the price you're looking at, right? So you can be very candid with a seller and be very frank about where you as the broker are seeing the value of this domain name. And a lot of times you can convey that to the seller of a domain name. Because like I said, they're going to start at the ceiling and a buyer's going to start at the floor. So it's literally about a meeting of the minds and having both parties understand and perceiving the value the same. It's when a sale happens, that's when the mark lands. And that's really what we're there to do. And you can be uh, very frank and explain the details of why you've derived that value. Hey, look, I'm looking at comparable sales. I recognize that you're not using this domain name. You've had it for five years, but again, you're not using the domain name. And you know we have a, a great company we're working with that can really drive a lot of value and, and utilize this domain in a very fantastic way. Do they care about that? Like, or are they just trying to make a sale? Not always, right? Not always. And that's where some of the uphill battle does come from in that instance. But um, a lot of times, uh, you know, you are working with someone who, they, again, they're starting at the ceiling. They're just naming a number. And if you land anywhere close to that, they feel like they won, right? So a lot of times it's just talking to them. It's explaining to them the situation. It's explaining to them, hey, listen, this is what we're going to use the domain for. Or this is, hey, listen, we're representing a, a fantastic client who could put great use to a domain name you're not using. On top of that, we have a very fair offer. You know, it's not like we approach these owners of money.com and say, hey, we have a $5,000 offer. Why won't you accept it? Like I can tell you now as a broker, that's that's a point, that's a mute point, right? We're wasting our time because obviously we're way below the market value. But if we can, based on a representing a buyer, if we can make an offer that we believe is in line with where the market is, and then we can convey that to the seller we're approaching, you know, a lot of times a seller can perceive that that is actually the value and that seems fair. They're making a fair offer. Let's let's come together and make this sale happen, right? And that's a lot of times what we see. Because ultimately, if you are open to selling a domain name, 
you're going to negotiate to the point of the sale happening, right? You you want to sell your asset or otherwise it was a poor investment. So, you know, that's a lot of times what we do and it, and it works out really well for us and our clients. When you talk about that, right? The negotiation, I always find that fascinating because you're sitting down, that's where the dialogue occurs and that's kind of where the action is. I don't want to put you on the spot slate, but do you have any kind of situations where you were in the negotiations where you were surprised at the outcome or when you were like, wow, that was a wild negotiation? Could you share maybe a story or two, you know, that, that are fresh in your mind? This is a tale of a domain transaction that was unsuccessful for the buyer we were working with because of the unrealistic expectations of the seller. This one isn't crazy. What, what it ended up being crazy was their unrealistic expectations of the domain name. And I can't specifically tell you the domain name, but what I can tell you is the, the perceived value not just by me, by my whole team, by the buyer, by other people in the industry that I leaned on to get reference points from. I had a client that was willing to spend $250,000 on a particular domain name. Now, we didn't start at $250,000, but ultimately they were willing to bring the offer to that level. And we did end up doing it during the process of negotiation. And the whole way through the seller, um, for whatever reason, they were very rude with me. They were unwilling to entertain a conversation. But the moment they'd start telling me they wouldn't entertain a conversation, they would just send me an email of 20 paragraphs explaining why they think the value of the domain is what they think it is. And and basically what it came down to is we, you know, we made an initial, I think, uh, maybe 100, 150k offer, right, um, to the owner of the domain name. And they got insulted with our offer where they, they definitely shouldn't have gotten insulted because basically we were paying where we thought the market was at and the buyer was willing to come up a bit more just in case. And the, the first response from the, the seller of that domain I call them a seller, but I don't think they'll ever sell it, uh, was that they were insulted by our offer. We were way too aggressive with trying to contact them with that offer, and they needed an order of magnitude more to consider the sale. Now, the biggest issue I had with that was, what is an order of magnitude? What an opinionated response. Order of magnitude for us may be move the offer from 150 to 250 order of magnitude for someone else might be, hey, listen, you have a 150K offer. We need a $300,000 offer and order of magnitude more. Okay, that's fine. Well, when it came to the nuts and bolts of it, when it came to the brass tax, the order of magnitude more that they were talking about was $59 million. And um, they believed so strongly in it. And after they had told us that, I was like, listen, thanks so much, but we're not interested. right? And then they kept pressing to have a conversation with me to try to get me on board with the sale at $59 million. And so basically that just opened my eyes to how how egregious some of these people can be. And it literally falls in the fact that they had a misunderstanding of the perceived value of the domain name we were talking about. And and that's just really what it comes down to. Sometimes you, you literally just run into an instance where you know, you just can't have a meeting of the minds like I was talking about earlier. Sometimes some people are so unrealistic with their expectations and they've also held on to the domain for 10 years. They're willing to hold on to it for another 10 years in the hopes that they can get that $59 million. And, you know, I can tell you it's never going to sell for $59 million, but that was a pretty crazy story. I also had someone who, it was weird, they, uh, they would only accept video calls right? Video messages, video calls. If you didn't do a video call, this is a seller I'm talking about. They would not respond to you unless you responded with a video call. Every time they answered the phone on a video call, they were dancing, right? They were making weird things, had costumes on. <laughs> it was so crazy. And, um, uh, and he couldn't talk to you unless you were kind of reciprocating that. And so I'm underplaying it. It was a bit more overwhelming, but it was, uh, 
it was pretty crazy. <laughs> it's interesting. Like the seller who wanted 59 million, like they're not going to get 59 million for a domain clearly, but I'm thinking there might be other ways to kind of parlay uh, domain ownership into something bigger. And I'm wondering if you have any examples of this that you can share. Like, for example, let's say I own a really valuable domain that I um, speculated on years ago and a company comes along and wants it. Now, I could sell that domain for, let's say, I don't know, maybe $20,000, $30,000 or something like that. But if it's the right company coming along, what's really to stop me from saying like, look, I'll give you the domain for free. Just give me some shares of your company or give me some equity or give me a seat on the board or, or whatever, right? Right making like alternative deals, right? That's that's where my brain goes, at least, you know, like, have, have you ever seen anything like that? Have you ever, does that, is that kind of part of what you offer or help facilitate? We just closed one of those sales this week. So absolutely. And it's becoming more relevant, especially as the price of domains does increase. So it is something that, that happens. Absolutely. Off the top of my head, I can think of about about 10 transactions we did like that, something in that ballpark that involved an equity or stake in the company uh, uh, along with the purchase of the domain name. So it's becoming more and more relevant from what I understand. And, you know, that's not always going to be the case. And a lot of buyers will not agree to those terms because ultimately they don't want to give up a portion of their company for the domain name, uh, especially if they've established themselves on the domain they currently have. Sometimes they don't see the value in adding equity, but we are seeing it become, uh, you know, at least a little bit more relevant in the negotiation process. So let's take it back to on the flip side, right? The investors, you know, obviously you have the businesses that own their domain names, but do we have like an understanding or, or an idea of how many domain names are actually owned? And you alluded to that before, like these, um, you know, giant corporations that hold these domain names that buy up these domain names or just like private investors. How many of those are actually just tied up as investments? I find with corporate entities, especially larger comp corporations, you know, typically their strategy isn't to just buy domains, invest in them and then sell them for a higher price. Usually the strategy with a bigger corporation is, or just a company in general, a lot of times they own a domain name, especially if they're not using it. So it might seem like they're investing in it. A lot of times they own the domain name due to previous projects or a series of corporate acquisitions, right? And naturally when you acquire another company and all their assets, you also acquire the, the domains associated with those companies. So a lot of times that's what you see. I'll give you an example, Oracle and IBM, just off the top of my head, those are two companies I know through a series of acquisitions. They ultimately have these premium domain names that maybe they're not using or maybe they're just holding on to for legacy accounts for the previous company they acquired or, you know, brand protection, right? They don't want a competitor to end up with that domain name, you know, relative to the business that they conduct themselves in. So a lot of times with corporate entities, it's not necessarily an investment. It's really just more of a fact that, hey, we own this domain name. It's a fantastic domain name. If we have future endeavors, it's a great domain to lean on and use. We don't have to go out and try to seek a domain for the, a future project. Or again, if they have uh, certain uh, software or internal systems that are utilizing the domain, you know, they can't necessarily just sell the domain name without removing themselves from the domain name, which typically we find is the case with corporate act when we're representing a client to buy a domain for a big corporation. Many times, not always, but many times, if it appears the domain's not being used and there's a potential to secure the domain name, a lot of times it is in fact being used on the back end. And so that's something we do run into. Let's say, you know, on a much lower level, right? How often do you get approached by investors? You know, hey, Slate, I don't know, I, I got a couple thousand dollars or whatever the case might be. And I want to put some money into potential, you know, domain names that I think uh, could have value in the future. Do you find that? Yeah, you know, um, probably not as often as we used to. And I say that because we're 
really the competency of what we do at Loomis is we have been helping the buyers secure domain names, especially people that are outside of the domain space who may not have as much information or understanding of the industry, right? We're kind of guiding them through the darkness of that. And that's a big focus of what we do nowadays. But um, we still definitely get clients who we've established relationships with that are domain investors. And they do come to us with, hey, listen, I would like to buy this domain. I think it's a really great investment. Maybe we can get it a bit below where the market's at, or maybe we just pay where the market's at. You know, Loomis and Slate, I know you're good at finding people. Can you help me find who to speak with to buy this domain name? I'm willing to pay market price because I think in the future, the market's going to appreciate for this domain name. So what can you do to help us? So we, we definitely do have domain investors that come to us as well to secure domain names. And then, you know, in that same conversation, we also just naturally come across domain names where maybe we have uh, clients that just, you know, initially they might have been somewhat interested in the domain name. And then suddenly, uh, you know what, forget it. We'll, we'll never buy that domain name. Maybe they're rebranding. Maybe they're going a different direction. Maybe they were willing to spend $1,000 on a $500,000 domain, right? So sometimes we'll have a domain on our table saying, hey, look, you know, we were already co having a conversation with the seller on this domain name. Uh, our buyer is backing out and they've very much confirmed they will never proceed with buying that domain again. And so sometimes we have instances where um, the owner of the domain, they're still wanting to be sell it. And we might have a particular buyer that we've already previously worked with, whether that's a domain investor, whether that's a big startup agency or anything like that, someone who's actively looking to buy a domain for their new brand. And a lot of times we can pair and match those together, right? Hey, listen, we were negotiating on this domain name. They want half a million dollars. You're in the market to buy a premium domain name. And you're willing to spend this amount on it. You know, are you interested in this domain? Sir, Mr. Investor, or are you interested in this domain startup, right? It's a good opportunity. And then sometimes we can make the marriage with that. So, you know, it's again, it's a loaded question and a loaded answer. But yeah, absolutely. We have investors that come to us seeking assistance in securing domains as well. In a similar vein, do you guys ever buy and sell domains yourselves? Like maybe in the course of your investigation, you find a killer domain, but the deal fell through and you figured, God, you know, we could pick this up and sell it in a few years. Is that something you guys are involved in at all? Or do you kind of stay away from that? It's a conflict of interest, right? You know, for helping a client buy a domain and, you know, they just couldn't get to the level they needed to, to be able to secure it. It would be weird if we bought the domain and then that same buyer came back six months later and says, hey, I just got a round of funding. Let's do it. Ready to buy the domain. And then how am I going to explain to the client I was representing? Oh, by the way, we bought that domain. What do you see kind of trending? So we're, no, we're alt.co, right? And what is the benefit of using that .co domain name as opposed to say, you know, maybe the .com wasn't available, but do you see that more companies are using that .xyz or .biz? What are the trends that you're seeing right now with these new companies or with the new wave of you know, startups? So it's interesting you say .xyz. Of any extension, if you ask me what is the most recent trend in domain registrations, uh, without a doubt, it's .xyz. And it literally just exploded onto the scene over the past year. I recently read uh, a report. Basically, I saw that there's now over 7 million .xyz domain registrations, which if you compare it to all the other varying extensions out there, that is a substantial amount, especially if you compare it to other GTLDs. The .xyz extension has just been exploding. And we're seeing a big use, uh, a lot of smaller companies, but also a lot of crypto blockchain related companies are really starting to adopt the .xyz extension. 
And you're starting to see, now that everyone's adopting it, the aftermarket. So now there's a lot more investors getting involved in .xyz domain purchases because now the resale value is much higher. So of any domain extension, .xyz would probably be the most relevant in terms of the most trendy uh, domain names uh, currently in terms of extension. But, you know, uh, with that, uh, as you probably are aware, .io uh, has gained traction for the past, you know, nearly decade at this point. And then, you know, .co has always held a value for a secondary extension, as you guys are probably aware. And yeah, those are probably the most relevant ones I'm seeing. You know, .net always has its place. .org obviously always has its place. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, Horatio, and, and for someone who is uh, maybe somewhat out of the domain space or domain community, you recognize .xyz since you literally just mentioned it. So that alone tells me how much value and how much relevance and, and trending the, the .xyz extension is. One question I have on this is, and I want to get your opinion. So we all kind of thought like maybe like 10, 15 years ago that the influx of new uh, TLDs would mean that .coms would kind of lose their importance. And like having a .com wouldn't be as big of a deal because whatever word you're looking for, you could always pick up. First, it was .net, then it was .co, then later .io and .xyz. And it's always going to be more and more and more. But it's kind of like the opposite has happened in a way. And like it almost is like .com, it's like retained the exclusive king of domains title after all these years. Is is that kind of how you see it? Or do you see like the .com kind of dynasty getting kind of chipped away a little bit by just the endless new TLDs that come up you know, every year? Well, the thing with new TLDs is you got to have an adoption of them. If you're not adopting it, it's not going to gain any traction. And ultimately, all you have is a new TLD with no one using it. So I think the big thing is, and a common saying that you heard in this space, maybe a few years ago, especially was .com is king. That's what you always heard, right? .com is king. And obviously, everything is considered secondary, especially if you take in consideration how many .com domain registrations there are as compared to any other alternate extension. But I think a big part of .com is it had the first mover advantage, right? It was the first real extension that was out there, per se, and uh, you know the first one that people were primarily using, et cetera. And since then, .com is king, right? It's always retained that value. And I would have to say for the foreseeable future, I really do believe .com is going to hold and maintain that value. However, what I can tell you is a couple things are happening, and you know I could probably answer this 20 different ways, but the .com extension, because it's maintained as the most sought out uh, domain extension, it's always going to hold that value. If you go anywhere in the world, right, give you an example, maybe uh, China, for instance, right? They're going to have uh, a use of their local country code domain extension, just like the US has .us, UK has .uk, .co.uk, you know, all these right type of things, right? China, for instance, they're, they're going to utilize .cn uh, and any other variation of their CCTLD that they have. However, they're also going to be familiar with the .com. They might not be familiar with the .horse, but they're going to know the .com. And that's the case anywhere in the world. .com gives you, essentially gives you global recognition almost instantaneously because everyone in the world, and I haven't found this to not be the case yet, everyone's going to be familiar with what a .com is uh, first and foremost, right? .io, .ai, for instance, right? Maybe they'll be familiar, 
but without question, they're going to know what the .com is. And it gains and it obtains that instant global recognition and brandability. And that's why .com, I think, is always going to hold value. Uh, and a big part of that, again, is that first mover advantage and the .com is king. I always think that's going to be relevant. The parallels between this and Bitcoin are pretty fascinating if you think about it, right? Bitcoin was first. It had first mover advantage. It's definitely not the most used anymore. It's definitely not like the best but it was first, it's the king, it's got a legacy built into it now that's just really difficult to unseat. And I think that's the same with with .com, it's just global panache, right? I was just about to say that. I think you literally nailed it. And um, you know, it's it's funny because What's really happening now is there's more companies moving into the online space. Like I said, more brick and mortar moving to online. And what you're seeing is because everyone is recognizes .com as a global extension, everyone's first thought, for the most part, not always, everyone's first thought is this is our brand. What's the .com doing? Can we get it? Right? That's not necessarily everyone's first thought, but most people, I imagine, they first look at what the .com domain extension is doing and if it's sensible for them to be able to acquire, right? And because of that, the demand for .coms is always going to be there, if not ever growing. But the supply of .coms is going to start diminishing as it has been. There's a lot of uh, solid companies who aren't going anywhere and they use the .com and they'll never sell it. And that's becoming more and more and more and more relevant. So you have a demand going up, supply going down. There's only one thing that can happen in that instance. And you're going to see the value of .coms appreciating as we have seen, especially over the past few years. Now, with that appreciating value in .coms, you know, suddenly over the past, especially about three, four years, you're just seeing an explosion of these secondary extensions uh, starting to gain more value as well. Because again, like we were just saying, you know, there is more supply of these alternate extensions, but the demand keeps increasing and increasing. So we're starting to see these secondary markets for domain extensions starting to expand and starting to grow. A big part because, hey, the .com now is, you know, $500,000. I, I can't afford that, but I can afford a $20,000 domain with this particular extension. It fits what we're doing. For instance, you're, uh, you're looking at .ai domain and you're an artificial intelligence company, which again, those companies are growing and growing and growing every day. Now you can start looking at these alternate extensions because .ai is getting traction, right? It makes sense to what we're doing, right? It, it explains on the right side of the dot that we're an AI company without you even having to visit our site. And on top of that, we can get a one word .ai for, you know, a, a much lower value than what we're looking at for these .com extensions with the same word on the left of the dot. So you're starting to see more people being driven to these secondary markets because it's more sensible for what they do. Maybe they have a good idea for developing their brand and their perception of their brand, and they can utilize it and create a, a great campaign to establish themselves on the .ai extension, for instance. Um, there's also obviously a ton of other alternating extensions that you can look at as well. Um, but I think that's a big part of it, right? .com, like you said, .com is king, similar to Bitcoin, has a legacy thing, first mover advantage, always going to have that value. And because of the demand being driven so much right now and the supply being more limited, the value of dot-coms are going up. So people are starting to look elsewhere for different avenues that can still be used for their businesses. And that's that's really what we're seeing. Just to kind of backtrack, this is a completely you know noob question, right? When you're brokering a, a domain name, right? You're basically really brokering the rights to the name for, for a while, right? Because nobody really owns their domain name. What they're doing is they're renting it out for a while and then they have to renew that name every so often. Is that correct? 
Yeah, that's that's pretty much correct. You can't truly own a domain name, right? You can't own a domain and never have to worry about it again because it's yours and no one else can take it from you. What's really happening is you're you're registering the rights to use a domain name. You can never truly truly own that domain name per se. And basically what you're needing to do is make sure that you're keeping up to date with the renewal registration costs for that domain name. And you and that's an annual thing. So each year you know, whatever time that falls in the year, it depends on when you first registered, came in possession of the use of that domain. Each year, there's an annual fee. You need to make sure you pay. Otherwise, you could, uh, you know, lose the ability to use that domain. And uh, yeah, that's a, I'm glad you hit that topic. That is important for some people to understand. How about names? What are the legal ramifications, right? If I want to buy a, a domain name with somebody's name that they haven't bought yet. And I know this sounds maybe a little strange, but you know, what if somebody is betting on a, on a kid, you know, a teenager to make it big in the future and they say, you know, this kid's going to be a star. I'm going to go and buy their domain name because I think that they're going to be, you know, famous. Are there any, any kind of uh, restrictions on that? There are restrictions in a sense, but not necessarily when it comes to something like that. Like a big one that comes up is trademark issues, right? So but maybe someone's uh, laptop technologies, Inc., right? And maybe they use laptoptechnologies.com. If you go out and try to acquire laptoptech.com, right, just a shortened version of it, but maybe you can leverage some negotiation with them. Uh, sometimes that can be uh, an issue, especially with trademark infringement and, and things of that nature, and people can pursue you through that avenue. But in terms of like, um, you know, especially like something as general as a name, if, if some dude's name is uh, Toby or uh, something like that, and you're like, Toby's going to make it big. Let me get the domain name. There's not necessarily any ramifications on that, especially with you securing the domain so early on, especially if they're, again, they're a stellar athlete, but they're only in grade school still. You know what I mean? Like all that really tells me is you're just trying to make an investment and there might be some risk involved in it. There's not a huge issue or ramification in that per se. Now, I think things start coming to an issue if you own LeBron.com, right? A little different story there his identity is his brand. You know what I'm saying? So there are some issues that can come up with something like that. Um, and so it's, it, it really is a, it's a hurdle. You have to kind of understand and like walk the fine line. But yeah, there, if you're really targeting, again, someone's name and they're a bit younger, you think they're going to be successful in the future, there isn't necessarily any, any major ramifications that can come of that. In saying that, I'm sure there have been some instances that have occurred where there were ramifications, just to be frank with you. Is that something you guys advise on, like the um, the trademark issues and kind of the legality of some of the some of the names? Is that something? I mean, I mean, I'm sure that's that's a question that comes up a lot. I know it's certainly a question we had. We kind of did our own independent research on that. But is that something that you guys you know help with, advise with at all? We can certainly advise you a hundred percent, but I just want to make it very clear: we are not legal representation. We have no legal authority. So. I always tell my clients, go through a third party or do conduct it internally if you have the ability to do that. Um, but definitely lean on some legal uh, professionals to help give you that advice. I can advise you. I can tell you what we're seeing. I can give you some documentation and things to reference, right? But I am not legal counsel and we do not claim that we're legal counsel. How can someone get in touch with you, Slade? There's so much to kind of unpack, you know, what, what you told us. It sounds like like you have... You know, you seem like a very busy guy, which is a good thing. If someone's, you know, looking to get in touch with you, someone's looking to, you know, like, like we were looking to get a name change, how can they get in touch with you? 
I mean, direct communication channels, email, phone, probably the best way to get me. It's uh, Slade at Loomis.com. That's uh, S-L-A-D-E at L-U-M-I-S.com. Or you can shoot an email over at sales at Loomis, and I'll be getting that. Um, And likewise, my phone number based in the States. So uh, plus one, eight, six, three, six, six, zero, three, two, five, three. Those are probably the best ways to uh, get a hold of me. Loomis is a great domain, man. Nice job getting that one. Oh, stop it. You're just saying that. (laughs) 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 Thanks so much. It's a good example of something that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but you can establish a great brand on it. We, We actually had that same thought when we first got the domain name. We sat on it for a while thinking, hmm, is this gonna work? Can we make it work? And then we started liking the hell out of it. And uh, by nature of it, it, it became something bigger than what we initially thought. It's a cool word. I really do like it. It rolls off the tongue. But I think, you know, on one hand, you kind of have this like growing movement of people saying that like, you know, domains doesn't really matter what you pick. You know, I mean, we live in a product centric MVP kind of world. Like it's more important to just get something out there, get customers, build something people want. And the domain kind of doesn't really matter. And on one hand, that's true, but on the other hand, it's just not true. Like the domain just matters. It just does. It always has and it always will. And uh, as much as people like, you know, want to uh, maybe think it doesn't, I think that in the end, it really, really is a really important part of your, your digital identity, your brand. So thank you for all of your insights today. And of course, thank you for helping secure a domain that we just, we love it here. We think it's, it's great. And um, you've been a huge help in that. So thank you, uh, Slade. Yeah, Stefan, no problem. I love hearing that. Always happy to help you guys. Slade really knows the domain naming industry in and out, and I hope you enjoyed and learned from today's podcast. I could sense that Slade's negotiation skills are only a part of what he does on a day-to-day basis. If you enjoyed today's guest or other episodes on the podcast, please follow us or subscribe. Leave a review. Believe it or not, it helps out. Take care and until next time.